Michael Kist. Are you caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen! It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 121, brought to you by the fine folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Perfect Kist. Perfect square. What is that? Sorry. I said perfect square, 121, it's 11 square. Oh, jeez. Michael Kist, at Michael Kist NFL, K-I-S-T. Follow me on Twitter if you dare. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Nine-Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Oh, man. Mike, every day is a good day to be alive. Everything is delicious. Oh, world's a good place. Eagles are training for Jalen Ramsey on Saturday. Couldn't be happier. How are you? You were, We were talking before the show, and you were saying, no, we've got three more recordings. There's the two preview shows, you know, offense, defense, and then defense, offense, and then the Jalen Ramsey emergency reaction right. show on Saturday. Are Even you calling your it shot? Would make just objectively zero sense to trade for him before Sunday, because then you have to keep <laughs> right. the players you're going to send in the trade either out of the game or you have to move them, and you can't play Ramsey on Sunday, because apparently Rap had that tweet where he was like, a team asked if Ramsey could play two games Thursday and Sunday, the NFL was like, no, which makes sense. Can you imagine? I would just, I would just enter like a, a deal with every team on Thursday night. Be like, listen, for a sixth round pick, you play, we'll send you a sixth round pick. We just rent Jalen Ramsey. Yeah. For a, a Sunday. You play him on Thursday. We'll play him on Sunday and then we'll send him back. Swap a six and a seven. You know what's funny? The Eagles could do that to where Ramsey could play Thursday tonight at your recording on a Thursday. Right. And then he could play Sunday for the Eagles, Thursday for the Eagles. Then Thursday for the Eagles. And then back Sunday for the Jaguars. <laughs> four games in uh, 14, 13, how many days are in a week? Uh, four, ga- four games in 10 days. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, yeah, everything is delicious. Life is beautiful. Eagles are playing the Detroit Lions. Everybody is hurt and it's sad. Yeah. Let's talk about the injury report. We'll do some house cleaning before we get into this preview, which is going to be the offensive side of the ball for the Detroit Lions, which means the defensive side of the ball for the Philadelphia Eagles. Nailed it. Not a problem. We're two for one, baby. We are on the train. Wait, we're doing Lions offense? Yeah, we're doing Lions offense. I'm kidding. I'm messing around with you. Yeah. <laughs> I knew you knew. <laughs> Jokes. So the Philadelphia Eagles report is long. We could spend an entire show on this, but we'll kind of get past some of these because we already know a lot of these issues. Did not participate on Wednesday. By the way, we are dealing with the Wednesday estimated report, not the Thursday report. We'll update you on the next show with more particulars, but this is what we're dealing with right now. Running back Corey Clement did not participate with the shoulder. Nope. Goddard with his cap. Calf, Deshaun Jackson with the abdomen, Alshon Jeffrey with the calf, Timmy Jernigan with the foot, obviously, Jordan Mailata still dealing with a back issue, limited participation, Derek Barnett with a shoulder, Fletcher Cox with his toe, Jonathan Cyprian with a knee, Rudy Ford with a hamstring, Nate Gary with a knee and a calf, and linebacker Camus Grugier-Hill also still trying to recover from the knee injury that he had and suffered in the preseason. Full participation, this is great news, Nate Sudfeld with the wrist and he's slinging it now so his track to recovery is at least on track we'll see about the other guys but obviously ben we're going to be dealing without alshon without deshaun most likely without dallas for at least this game and probably more as mike garofalo reported that if the eagles get back jeffrey and jackson by week five it would be great success for them so we can kind of count them out for week three and week four right yeah i think we can and i think we have to I would like to say, and I just want to make sure this is on the record, the fact that Deshaun Jackson's injury is called an abdomen injury and not a tummy injury is devastating to me. <laughs> I understand why. I get it. 
professional, whatever. I think it'd be really funny if they're like, yeah, it's his belly. Um, <laughs> I was thinking about that the other day. I don't know. I wouldn't be able to really figure out like how, what isn't, I can figure out what like a knee injury feels like, but like an abdomen injury. It's very interesting. Anyway, these are the things I think about when I'm supposed to be watching film. Okay. The whole Jonathan Cyprian, Rudy Ford thing. Right. What the heck? I don't know where either of those came from, but that doesn't not matter. They're both special teamers. Sip played dime for quarter linebacker stuff. Yeah. yeah. And preventive. And so I don't know where they came from, but I'm not a fan of that. <laughs> um, and then obviously we saw the Alex Ellis, Craig James switcheroo practice squad to active 53 man roster, which may, uh, you know, very clear signal that Dallas Goddard is probably going to be a no go on Sunday. Now, you know, how much, like, okay, so Dallas Goddard's a no go. So the Eagles will have 12 personnel at their disposal. However, how often are you trying to get Alex Ellis on the field? But as a counterpoint to my own counterpoint, <laughs> you don't even have a sixth wide receiver. Yeah. It's not like 10 is preferable to 12, and you can actually do 12 because you can't even run 10. Are the Eagles going to bring back the 21 nonsense from week one. And I hate it. Maybe Sproles flexed out wide. Right. Yeah. I, um, yeah, they're, they're beat up in the pass catchers, uh, which means that they, they, um, have got to be able to run the football or my Alex Ellis affinity is going to be very, <laughs> very quickly tested. Yeah. Cause I was like, yeah, this is a fun guy to root for to develop. And then it's week three and he might see 12, 15 snaps. Yeah. <laughs> that, it's a lot sooner than I thought it was going to be. And he looked good as a pass catcher in preseason, but he notably struggled in the run yeah. game. And the run game from 12 is where the Eagles have had their best success this year. We talked about that in the, in the film review show, 120. Uh-huh. So, yeah, it's definitely an issue. Let's go to the Lions injury reports. There are some some interesting ones here. Limited participation for the Lions. Gerard Davis, a linebacker. He's not any good. We don't have to worry about that. Wow. <laughs> Immediately for the throw on Gerard Davis. I respect it. <laughs> Offensive tackle Taylor Decker still dealing with this back, which we'll talk about when we get into the offensive preview portion of this show defensive end Deshaun Hand is dealing with an elbow safety CJ Moore he was just listed as limited for limited participation which is which is fun don't know what that means we didn't want him to play anymore (laughs) that that's it okay there it is yeah so let's kind of talk about this this matchup here the first thing I want to talk about I just want to talk about the coaching staff and the offensive philosophy from Matt Patricia head coach of the Detroit Lions if I can kind of get on my soapbox here for a second let's talk about some situations are we about to slander the rocket scientist oh we are yeah all right the hat is on let's go brother we're going to talk about some situations where this Lions team has showed cowardice week one first drive fourth and two their own 49 yard line tie game punt like a coward second drive fourth and six the Arizona 41 yard line tie game still punt still a coward fast forward to the fourth quarter under three minutes Lions lead by eight so one score game fourth and five at their own 49 yard line with a chance to put the game away they punt like cowards three instances where I could argue that the map is fairly strong that not punting in those three situations would improve your chances to win in that one game. Week two, they got more aggressive, but when you're playing without a lead, it's a little easier to fraud some big boy pants. They also punted from fourth and three on their own 46, kicked a field goal on fourth and two from the Chargers 22. Look what happened when they went for it on fourth and one on the Chargers 35, convert, boom, next play, game-winning touchdown. How about that? So looking at last year, this is not just a this-year thing with Matt Patricia. Looking at last year, I used the Pro Football Reference Gameplay Finder to set a query that would show me all punts from the 50 and then inside enemy territory with fourth and six or closer. The top three coaches in punt volume in that situation, Bill O'Brien, Matt Nagy, 
and Matt Patricia. Ah, three of our favorite head coaches in the league, Mike! (laughs) The Lions punted in enemy territory with fourth and six or less nine times in 2018. They did it twice against the 49ers. They lost by three points. They did it against the Cowboys. They lost by two points. They did it against the Packers. They won by eight points. Shouldn't have been that close. Seahawks lost by 14 points. Could have been closer. Panthers won by one point. Didn't have to be that hard. Bears lost by seven points. Then against the Bills twice. Guess what? Lost by one point. Week one, they do it against Arizona. They tie. If you weren't keeping count, that's two and six in games. And you can even add the tie in there. In games where they punted inside enemy territory, four times they lost by one score. For a team that went seven and nine last year, do you think that that could be the difference between seven and nine and nine and seven? And remember, when we talked about the emotional element to all this when discussing Peterson's aggressiveness and showing faith in his team and how that couldn't be understated. What is the message that Matt Patricia is sending to his team by not showing faith in the offense to convert and faith in the defense to have his back if he puts them in a bad position by trying to actively win a football game, which he apparently refuses to do? Ben, Matt Patricia is a coward. I was worried you were going to end it after that because you didn't ask a question. And so I was, I don't know what I'm supposed to say here. (laughs) Usually you have the question. You have a defensive-minded head coach was originally the uh, defensive coordinator, obviously, for the New England Patriots. You also have a run-first run to set up the play-action game coordinator in Daryl Bevel. And Bevel brought in to replace Jim Bob Cooter as the offensive coordinator in Detroit, a move that I liked in the whole, in the sense that a lot of what Jim Bob, which is a real person, a lot of what Jim Bob was doing for uh, the Lions with Matt Stafford was a lot more quick game stuff, a lot uh, getting the ball out of his hands, facilitating to the weapons. And that was a choice uh, when you have a player with Matt Stafford's arm strength. Now, Bevel comes in, the Lions improve the offensive line significantly. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think that the quality of the offensive line play is something that we need to talk about because I did yeah. not know that the Lions were good like this. It's pretty good. And then I watched the film. They played, played some good ball early. Yep. Tyrell Crosby. Mm-hmm. Oh, but I thought I had to write off as a loss. Same. But no. Anyway, so it's um, it's good offensive line play. They're about even in the league, about league average in terms of scripted plays, design runs to drop backs. Uh, that's from PFF's numbers. And then when they throw, they decide to go deep. Matt Stafford is the second most deep passing attempts in the league right now in terms of the percentage of passing attempts, only to Josh Rosen, who has taken literally 22 yeah. dropbacks or something like that. Can I add some stats to that to kind of show the difference Absolutely between not. the offense? No. Okay. No, I'm already there. Good. All right. So Matt Stafford, last three years since Next Gen Stats has been tracking intended air yards. Matt Stafford's been anywhere from seven to eight intended air yards per those years. This year, he's way way up like three yards up he's in like 11 yards intended air yards per attempt so they're opening the offense up with bevel also air yards to the sticks it'll be the first year if this holds matt stafford's over 2.1 air yards to the sticks i think that's tops in the league can you redefine air yards to the sticks for everybody yeah so for instance if it's first and 10 and you throw it to the and you throw it nine yards in the air that's a negative one air yard to the stick if you throw it 12 yards that's plus two air yards to the stick. So he's throwing past the sticks on any given down, any given situation. If that holds, it would be the only year since they started tracking this since 2016 that Stafford would be in the black for air yards to the stick. So they are pushing it downfield, which Stafford has the arm to make these throws. And he's been really impressive to me. Right. And, and we suddenly have 
the pass protection to pull it off. Mm-hmm. Stafford is, is sitting in the pocket for significantly longer than he has in previous years, spending more time waiting, not breaking. When he gets sacked, it's still pretty quick, and that makes sense. But generally speaking, he's able to hang in the pocket a lot longer. Like I said, really impressed with the growth and the additions that you've seen for the Detroit Lions offensive line. Uh, I think you you lose Taylor Decker and you think that that's going to be a big loss. Tyrell Crosby, fifth-round pick out of Oregon 2018. I brought him up earlier. Crosby was a very underdrafted player in, re- in regards to, I believe there's like a foot injury that uh, we're not sure how healthy that'll ever be and if he'll be able to be a second contract player or whatever. But as far as the fifth round pick, he was woefully underdrafted. He steps in, he's playing tremendous ball, in my opinion, mm-hmm. uh, at left tackle as for a second year player. Speaking of second year players, Frank Ragnall's got his chops. I mean, he wasn't <laughs> bad. He wasn't bad his rookie year. Hey. But as we, we kind of, offensive linemen very typically, you, you know, some time to adjust. Second year, Ragnow came to play some ball, brother, and then Joel Dahl steps in as 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 left guard. That left side of the line looks great. Ricky Wagner, Graham Glasgow, been there for a while. You add in Jesse James and TJ Hawkinson, and this is a Lions team that is not afraid of going 12 personnel and also just flat out stealing some of the Eagles concepts, which were not the Eagles to begin with. But there are pieces of this power running game that look a lot like what Philly was running, especially in 2017 when they had a giant blunt running behind Brent Selick and Zach Ertz in their 12 personnel set. So you get a lot of trap. Mike, you're getting some of your wham as well. You're getting you're yeah. getting your single back power. You're getting your counter plays. There's a powerful rushing attack, which has improved the offensive line. Uh, carry on Johnson, another second-year player who looks good. So the running game has strengthened. And then accordingly, when the Lions go deep, it's off of play action. Stafford is a really good play action passer. We know play action is generally more effective. And they have two great downfield receivers yeah. in Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay. And the, the nice thing is that they've done a good job, I think, with the addition of Danny Amendola and then the way that they use... TJ Hawkinson as underneath and intermediate route runners to allow Galladay and Jones to really work downfield more frequently. Like Kenny Galladay and Jones were doing too much slants and curls under Jim Bob Cooter. These are great catch point receivers. Mm -hmm. They're tall. They're able to get vertical. They have great catch radiuses. They're physical down the field. It's where you want them to be playing. And I think that Bevel has done a nice job getting them in those areas in which they're going to be more effective. And so they're, I, you know, I, I still think they probably run the ball too much. There's mm-hmm. probably too many screens. Mm-hmm. I feel that way about most offenses, but there's probably too many screens. But I think that this offensive philosophy fits the personnel a lot better, and the changes in personnel that were made to fit the philosophy make a lot of sense and are successful so far. So the Lions, a team who I, I took the mickey out of a little bit in the, uh, in the preseason, mm. looks better than I expected them to look, and I think a lot of that credit belongs to Daryl Bevel, who's coaching a pretty good offense there in Detroit. I 100% agree, and there are a lot of points that you just made that I want to follow up on. First on Galladay, I think his play strength in the air and his ability at the catch point is going to give Darby some problems. I gotta, give, I gotta catch a big L on Galladay, brother. Yeah, me too. I, um, <laughs> not only did I not love him coming out, I thought after his first season, it wasn't gonna happen. Right, and, and it's then happening. And last year, he had a thousand yards, and I was like, shoot! <laughs> I did not realize this. And then and he's just playing good ball. Yeah. And then looking at some of the other things that you touched on, you know, you talked about the importance of Tyrell Crosby stepping up because you really wonder about Decker to start the season. Week one, he get he gets dominated by Chandler Jones from the Cardinals and to a lesser extent, even Cassius Marsh Sr., which I didn't even know he was in. Hey, the we will not be disparaging Cassius Marsh. You know how I feel about Cassius Marsh. We've talked about this before. Yeah, we, we You're not disparage Cassius Marsh. So Decker was called for four penalties, Cassius. allowed two sacks. Uh, he never looked comfortable. And for all the lead up to week two, he was listed as a limited participant with a back injury. Now he's obviously still dealing with that, which looking how awkward he was trying to like bend in that game in the in week one makes sense. So this mm-hmm. is 
a decent player that's dealing with a bad injury that's making him look pretty wonky. So I wouldn't be surprised if Crosby gets the start again. And he, like you said, he was very, very good in that game, especially in pass pro. I thought he was excellent. And when you talk about pass pro, you wonder how Jim Schwartz might try to get pressure on these guys that are playing good as a unit. And, you know, I don't think it's going to be with more blitz like he did against Atlanta and against the blitz. What was really impressive to me was Stafford does really well to recognize Blitz's pre-snap. He's no greenhorn, dumb-dumb back there, and he'll take what the defense gives him. We're talking about quick game stuff based on where the pressure is coming from and the leverage of the defenders, and I've got the numbers from last week right in front of me. He was 7 for 8 against the Blitz, 7 completions, 3, 5, 5, 6, 6, 8, 10 yards, 75% success rate. Get it out, do it quick, and keep the offense on schedule. It might sound boring, but you add in that vertical element that they also have, and it's and it's really not. So against the Blitz staff, is just going to get it out and take advantage of those voids in cover three that the Eagles are going to give them otherwise too, just not even with the blitz. And then you mentioned 12 personnel and I wanted to follow up on that with some stats because I charted them against the Chargers and with the Cardinals as well with 12 personnel. And from passing from 12 this year, they are 14 of 16, 183 yards, one touchdown with a 135.1 quarterback rating. That's from my charting, heavily subject to error, but TJ Hawkinson, man, is a problem. I tried to tell people. <laughs> I tried to tell. He's a full-grown deer. 6-131-1 and one in his debut, including some interesting concepts. They had one where they lined him at the H-back and then sent him on a deep crosser that really caught the defense out of sorts. He had another catch on a post from a nasty split against cornerback Chris Jones where he showed a good understanding of leverage stemming inside before his break, and it could have been a TD with a better ball from Stafford, but Stafford had to step up in the pocket away from pressure, ended up with a guy in his face, so the placement wasn't perfect. And Stafford on these throws where he has to alter his platform or his throw throwing angle is excellent and Hawkinson just a matchup nightmare you're talking about a near six foot five 251 pounder with very good change of direction skills and above average straight line speed that's also an impactful run blocker so he's going to create all types of issues for defensive coordinators and as his game matures it's just going to be worse and worse for defenses and like last week he was quiet only one catch for seven yards that one catch came on a a two by two set so two receivers on either side of the formation split out like the Lions like to do all curls from their lines also like to do that a lot. They like to mirror concepts as well. Like we talked about on the QB Sco show with Mark Schofield. Yeah. There's going to be issues there if the Lions can get their play action game going, especially with Hawkinson. I'm interested to see how the Eagles can match up with that. You said the the, the Lions like to split out the receivers. You have numbers on that? Numbers as far as splitting out or going two by two, or what do you mean? How frequently their receivers are... Uh, out wide and plus splits and how frequently they're in reduced splits i mean it's either one i'm not challenging you i'm just curious yeah i I honestly think it's a pretty even mix between one or the other because they they do those tight doubles two by two even with the tight end and they'll do high low reads with that i was talking about that with schofield as well right so they'll give them at the defender one of the one of the positive things about the lions offense and then one of the most worrisome things for the eagles defense against specifically this lions offense is those reduced splits and is those tight when when i when i my uh, vernacular my understanding of a nasty alignment is when you have the outermost receiver stacked up against the tackle with an h-back potentially behind him and the, and the lions like to do that a lot so these yep. really tight double sets mm-hmm. why is that annoying why is that a problem well these reduced formations we call reduced formations when you bring the outside receivers into the formation you're reducing the formation you're giving it less surface area well what does this do we circle back to mcveigh mcveigh who is an offensive genius and a mastermind and coach of the year and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> well the th- right things that he you know he he 
very nicely marries a lot of idea, ideas towards one distinct goal, but it's not like he's the only coach in, in the world who's using reduced formations. Daryl Bevel is another one that's using it. Reduced formations are, are important. They're valuable. There's something Philly doesn't do a lot of that I wish they did more of. Why? Reduced formations very typically force defenses into single high checks. Why do they force defense into single high checks? You don't want split safeties against so many blockers in the box because when you have that many blockers in the box, and the, and the Lions can get Jesse James and TJ Hawkinson and 12 personnel sets both in the box. Both of them are plus blockers. They can get Danny Amendola, Marvin Jones in the box as wide receivers. As far as wide receivers go, plus blockers. Danny Amendola will take your head off. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They can go 21 personnel and go tight with it. And then they got Nick Bowden, their fullback in there, who is a fullback. They go 21, 13, 22, 20. They have a big mix of personnel packages. Right. So I want to make sure we brought up the fullbacks. I forgot to list him when I was going over the personnel. And I'm not here to tell you how good of a fullback he is relative to other fullbacks in the league. That would imply I've watched other fullbacks in the league. But I know that he can block a linebacker. I've seen him do it. So they, 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 they get people into the box. And then a little bit unlike the Rams, they go heavy with it. Mm. They will bring multiple guys in who can block. But even the Rams, just with 11 personnel. When you bring that many players into the box, you want to check the single high. You also want to check a lot of times to cover three, very common single high coverage. But you want your corners to be protected bailing to the outside. You don't want your corners all the way against a reduced split wide receiver in man. Because if they're in, in man, they'll be playing still with outside leverage, but they have to worry about in-breaking concepts. You run zone off of that, you can be protected more from plays that are going to be breaking back to the outside. Right. So single high checks for the Eagles specifically going to be cover three. I can tell you, you've you've all seen this formation before and you've wondered what the point of your life is. Where the (laughs) Eagles have four linemen down, they've got four linebackers behind it, and it's typically like, you know, two linebackers and like two safeties or three linebackers and one safety, whatever the personnel is. And then there's a single high safety, it's 15 yards off McLeod, and then the two corners are eight yards off flexed, uh, you know, shaded outside of the, the formation. This is how the Eagles like to match to reduce splits. It's a very predictable check, and it's a very, very... Any predictable check is exploitable. Anytime I know what your defense is going to check to, I'm going to attack it. So the Lions, especially if they come out and they motion into a a, um, a reduced set, which they don't usually do, but even if they motion to it, even if they come out with it just, just regular out in the formation, Eagles are going to respond with single high cover three. I, Jim Schwartz defense, primary goal is not pressure with four. It's plus one in the box. So they will go plus one in the box against that formation. And now it's... Your cover three beaters. Yeah. Now it's sale. Now mm-hmm. it's smash divide. Now it's flood. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not hard contact. We go hard play action. Eagles linebackers have not played good in the past couple of weeks. Yep. We throw over the top of them. And the linebackers, there's going to be three of them on the field because, as I mentioned before, I kind of alluded to this on a previous show. The Lions are running 11 personnel about 58 to 60% of the time. The rest is those other personnel formations that I mentioned. And Nate Gary is going to get a lot of steps. The Eagles respond with base against 12, 21, 13, 22, and 20 personnel sets. So the linebackers are going to be on the field and they're going to have to play well. And I worry about the linebackers in coverage against play action, against those reduced splits. So I definitely... 100% agree with you there that it might be a problem. Uh, Ben, looking at these matchups for the cornerbacks, because we're talking about pass coverage here, what do you think about Marvin Jones against Ronald Darby, Danny Amendola against Avanti Maddox, Kenny Galladay against Sidney Jones, possibly some Rasul Douglas in there as well. I I mentioned Galladay against Darby before because I still think they're going to see some of that, and I worry about the play strength and the ability at the catch point. Uh, Is there anything that stands out to you from those matchups? Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to, they'll be able to get which wide receiver they want on which corner because the Eagles will leave their corners on sides yep. and the Lions will flip Jones and Galladay. They exactly. do. So it, they, they can go get who they want. I'm 
really confused why you didn't mention the Marvin Jones versus Jalen Ramsey matchup, but it's fine. Um, <laughs> I don't think that this is a, um, it's not as, as tough of a matchup as they had against Atlanta, but it's an easier matchup than they had against Washington. Now, Terry McLaurin gave them issues, right? Neither Jones nor Galladay is a McLaurin-like player. The, the Lions do not have the outside speed burner Calvin Ridley, Terry McLaurin type. Does this mean they won't be able to hit deep post routes if the Eagles don't get, you know, their defenders to the middle of the field deep? Absolutely not. Did you see the post route against the Chargers? Against to the Chargers. That was yeah. a beautiful dime. Holy crap. And, and, and the problem is that Kenny Galladay is quite a large human being. And Marvin <laughs> Jones is quite a large human being. Right. So and there may not be like, you know, as easy of separation, but absolutely Stafford's going to throw one-on-one balls. And Stafford's going to going to be willing to test one-on-one coverage, especially against these Eagles corners. That's the whole point of the reduced splits. I'm going to get those corners isolated into coverage. I don't think there's a matchup here that stands out as like this one is worse than the other ones. Yeah, but I do. Right, I I will say that like most receiving cores are going to have the the advantage over the Eagles in true man-to-man coverage. Hmm. My my general response to what do you want to be able to do against the Lions, against the the West Coast concepts you're going to be getting from Daryl Bevel, against the formation you're going to be getting with the secondary issues that you've had, is you have to play more split field. You have to play more split field. Just going to say you. There's no choice. He just doesn't do it. He doesn't play split field. And why? Because he does not want to get ran on. That's yeah. my it's my theory. Is that he just does and the Eagles run defense, as it has been every year, is great. Oh, it's yeah. so good. Eagles Fantastic. give up no yards on the ground. It's awesome. <laughs> they also give up 30 points a game, but no yards on the ground. The only time they went split safety last year was against the Rams. And and we lauded him for for that defensive game plan. That was it. Like you had to play, you have to play quarters yeah. against the Rams concepts. There's just no other way. With the Lions, I don't know if he thinks that way. Do you remember why you said they played split field against the Rams? Because everybody else was doing it. <laughs> Well, everybody else was doing it, but I remember we also did a pod in the in the uh, preseason, in the offseason, where you're basically like, yeah, because if they didn't do something different, they were going to lose right. the season. They had no <laughs> other choice but to try other things. Correct. And I'm not asking for Tampa 2. I'm yeah. not asking for, oh, Comer 2, hit the honey hole. Play quarters. Yeah, exactly. Just protect your corners. Right. I mean, they played quarters on the one, the the touchdown, uh, the Hardy touchdown. Ben Slam and stuff. Yeah, they were playing quarters on the on the touchdown. Yeah. Right. Play quarters. Just do it better. Don't do it wrong. <laughs> like you know, like get Sendejo, you know, his head screwed on correctly. Look, maybe if they played it more than once a game, they'd be better at it, right. and they could use you, it. That's thing. You you can absolutely with your defensive line. Yeah. Play quarters. <laughs> Against this, against reduced fronts, you can, you really can, I promise. Yeah. I just, you, my, the, and like split field, screw it. Who cares? Doesn't matter if it's split field, cover four, cover six, cover two, I don't care. You have to have a change up pitch. You can't keep pitching them down the pipe. Cover three is going to be, you can beat it all day. I don't really know what down the pipe means. I don't watch baseball. I'm pretty sure I got that idiom right. You're putting it over the plate. You're very predictable coverage shells right now yep. and you do not have the corner talent to recover from this mm-hmm. when mcleod was healthy last year there was more trap coverage there was this inverted tampa two, which other teams have decided to steal regardless of the fact that it didn't work very well last year don't ask me about that it is not working for anyone else not washington and not new york not- nothing yeah well okay the washington one 
they had a linebacker bailing. I don't know what that is. I don't even want to go. That, that was drop eight. That's some weird drop eight check. I mean, they also had it happen against the, the Cowboys. Remember, Kellen Moore dialed up the same thing that the Washington had dialed up in week one. And they got the same coverage that they got from the Eagles in that game. And it's right. just, you know, we think Kellen Moore might be the petty god. We'll find out if he just continues to run right. concepts that the previous team ran had touchdowns with. But that's something Which, else we're tracking. Totally side note. Heroism. But regardless. <laughs> it's, so it's. Yeah. Right. Trap coverage. They ran more trap coverage than McLeod last year. They lost McLeod. McLeod is back now. Well, if McLeod is back, when I talk about trap coverage, I'm basically talking about get, like, as, like, a 90,000-foot view. This is highly reductive. But get defensive backs into zones that the offense doesn't think they're going to be in pre-snap. Two palms, two read, whatever. Exactly. Just get your corners dropping into, into hook curl zones and get a linebacker moving into the flats and rotate coverage and spin coverage away from strength and spin coverage away from blitzes. Like when the Eagles blitz, which we were very happy about, I don't want to take that away from you, Jimbo. <laughs> it's all man behind it. Right. Right. And Chris Collinsworth was like, this is what happens when the Eagles zone blitz. I was like, what are you talking about? They don't do that. <laughs> You have to, there, there, there needs to be some change at pitches in the secondary shell for as long as the Eagles pass rush isn't world beating, which it's not right now. Mm. And for as long as your cornerbacks continue to struggle in isolation, another solution, like if you want to be able to play this sort of coverage shell would as Schwartz, you should be banging the table for Ramsey. He's what allows you to do that. He's the exception that proves the rule. He's the elite talent. That's why he's elite because it lets you be more simple on the defensive side because you have the personnel to match up against top wide receivers. So a long way of saying the Eagles are going to give up yards in the passing game. The Lions have been a good running team. They have moved the ball on the ground and then shot deep. The Eagles are going to continue, even if they stop the running game, to give up deep shots against the Lions. They're going to give up yards. They're going to give up points through the air. Unless you find a way to disguise tendency and force Stafford to process post-snap, give your defensive line more time to get there. Or trade for Jalen Ramsey. When we come back, we're going to talk more about this matchup. We'll get into some predictions as far as the Lions offense goes. That's coming up next here on the Kist and Solak Show. We are back on the Kist and Solak Show, episode 121, brought to you by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. Michael Kist here with Benjamin Solak. Look, let's. I want to talk more about the dude rag now that you brought it before. I didn't get the chance to at the time, but maybe we can tie this in with some other stuff. Because Frank Rag now, their center, their second-year center, I mean, Rags has some issues with being patient in pass pro, I think, from what I saw, and he can get a bit overextended at times, but he's a doggone people mover in the run game, and the Lions absolutely love to get him up to the second level where he just smothers linebackers. They do a great job getting, dude, great, like, trap wham, our concepts, man. Great, great quality film. I think Cox is going to be able to take advantage of him in the passing game, but he's also not at 100% and hasn't been the game record that he typically is. And as I said before, a lot of linebackers on the field, a lot of linebackers trying to get away from Frank Ragnow. Those linebackers are going to have issues if they allow Ragnow to get in on them and in on their frame. And from what I saw from Ragnow, his hit rate on the second level is really, really good. Like he tracks, he takes great angles and he just... He moves them out the way, keeps his feet moving to wash players out and clears lanes, man. So he's super fun in that regard. Anything else up front, maybe in the run game that that you saw from the Lions that might give the Eagles some issues or any other players on the offensive side of the ball for the Lions that you want to highlight? What was the one thing about on Johnson as a runner when you were evaluating him out of Auburn that stood out as unique? That I couldn't figure out his freaking burst. I think I had more issues figuring out his burst right. than anything. But carry on, Johnson. It's 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 related to that. I think that's 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 on my point. Okay, Johnson got from some people, not me. 
Le'Veon Bell comparisons. Oh, the patience. Because of play style. Mm. Johnson's willingness to just sit there (laughs) and wait. Is and this is it not only is it annoying, yeah, it's a problem for Philly because Philly penetrates. Yep. Right? So Philly's gonna get upfield, they're gonna get into flow, they wanna cut off flow, they wanna cut you off at the pass. But Johnson's very, very willing to sit there and let you overplay and then pick his way through the trash, get four or five dirty yards, break this contact, break that contact, force your filling corner, force your filling safety to make tough tackles against a two hundred and twenty five pound player. Right, correct. That is no one wants to deal with that. That's only like that physically is exhausting for a mm. defensive line. The play is longer and you're getting hit more. It sucks. Uh, so Johnson's got a, a unique play style that I think is difficult and is, is specifically, again, and this is kind of a theme here, going to be a little bit difficult for how Philly likes to play their game. I agree with you on Ragnar Bigley, like we were talking about. I also talked about Crosby, the last player that I think does deserve a highlight. I brought up Joe Dahl and I think he's playing well. But Graham Glasgow has been four years in the league now mm. and it's just been rock solid for four years. Just... Yep. I love him. I th- and, and, and it's very much so in a quality starter, lunch pail, show up to work, should not show up to work. Ragnow Glasgow is 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 that that strong. When they double team, when they scoop, and when they combo, it's really, really nice. The one thing that is a bit of an issue for the offensive line is that a lot of their run concepts, because they're like trapping and they're running combo blocks and fold blocks and whatnot, is reliant on communication. And mm. they haven't been playing together for that long, especially with Crosby and a left tackle. Right. Hawkinson, when he fills, James, when he fills, they're both new as well. Mm. Uh, and so they'll also make mistakes and read blocks incorrectly and you catch it. It's not too much of an issue. I but you it, can, yeah. yeah, you can, especially if you want to stunt and twist, which the Eagles stunted a bit more than I remember them usually doing against mm. Atlanta, which could be an effort to kind of galvanize that pass rush a little bit. Mm-hmm. But obviously, stunting also works against the running game as well as long as you don't stunt out of it and so there can be communication issues for the Lions offensive line but most teams who run these power blocking ideas especially these interior ones you're going to have that mm-hmm. uh that's going to be a thing that shows up so it's not super unique it's just something to watch for if the you know it was a miscommunication that got Brandon Graham a five-yard tackle for loss that ended in Atlanta drive early so yep. it matters Let, let's take a look at the line here and we can give our overall thoughts on how we think this Lions offense is going to perform right now I'm looking at a site no free ads the over under is set at 45 and a half and the spread is six minus six for the Eagles which is he- healthy in my opinion uh, that puts the score around if they hit that over by a half a point that puts it at 26 to 20. So Vegas is saying that the Lions are going to score right around 20 points. Would you go over or under on 20 points for the Detroit Lions? Over. Over? Yeah. Over. Mm. I have no reason to go under on the Eagles defense stopping a team until it happens. <laughs> or or True. until they trade for John Ramsey. <laughs> So you're going over. I think I'm going to take the over as well, which is going to put the Eagles in some interesting spots considering the lack of offensive firepower they are now facing. Ben, anything else with this matchup that you want to highlight before we uh, hit the old dusty trail and start looking at the uh, Lions defense for the next show? Travis Fulgham, release (laughs) him. Tell me. (laughs) (laughs) Boom. I liked him and he was good. Play him more. Okay, the end. All right, Ben, that's going to do it for this episode of the Kist and Solak Show. Of course, we've got a bevy of other shows being released throughout today, tomorrow, the weekend, all of that stuff. There's just a ton, and we're glad to be able to cover this from every angle here at BGN. Ben, would you say goodbye to the gentle, gentle listeners?
Hello. Thank you as always for listening to the Kiss and Soul Wax Show here on Bleeding Green Nation. We do appreciate you swinging by. This was the first half of the Detroit Lions Philadelphia Eagles Week 3 preview show brought to you on the Kiss and Soul Wax Show by Benjamin Solak on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That says it Michael Kiss on Twitter at Michael Kiss NFL's KIST. <sighs> Second half coming out tomorrow, Friday, Saturday? Something Saturday. Like that. I think it's Saturday. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Listen, if you subscribe, then you'll know when it comes out, when it comes out. You'll get a little ding. That's what happens to me. Uh, so go ahead and subscribe on whatever app you listen to your podcast. Please go ahead and leave a rating, a review, and a subscription as well. Uh, we do appreciate those. We read those. And when they're funny, we screenshot them and we send them in Slack and we laugh at you. <laughs> BGN already came out. Babes on Broad is coming out. Mm-hmm. QB's Go Show already came out. Do we have more shows on this network? I feel like that's four. Eye on the Enemy, the weekly series where I talk oh, with... Oh, yeah, screw I'm gonna, you. We I'm have be- five. I'm going to be talking with Sports Info Solutions guys, Matt Manichurian and Bryce Rossler to preview. I forgot Bryce is a Lions fan, mostly because he never talks about it because it's a sad existence. <laughs> he's, he said he's, a, he's in his profile, he's a reformed Lions homer. I mean, anything right. with, with, the, with the what the Lions have done in the past few years would definitely take the homerism out of you and the optimism as well. But uh, great analytical stuff coming from SIS, also from the football side too. I mean, they both have their backgrounds in film study and Matt Manitarian was a scout as well. So tons of content coming your way. Matt. Bye. <laughs> we all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Cheese.